Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us for this episode. I'm really excited about what we're going to be discussing because we keep hearing that we need to reduce emissions. We keep hearing that we need to cut greenhouse gas emissions and other air pollutants. But the question always remains, how do we do that? What are the strategies that are going to get us to where we need to be in order to both mitigate uh, climate change and also protect public health from some of the emissions that uh, we experience, you know, from sea to shining sea and all the way around the globe. California has a long history of tackling these issues head on. And today we're going to be talking about a study that was just released um, that actually has some really concrete information and data that public policymakers can use to make some decisions about strategies that will work, strategies that will get us to where we need to be in terms of emissions and, and air pollutants. Our guests today are Eileen Tut, the Executive Director of the California Electric Transportation Coalition, and Simon Mui, who is the Senior Scientist a senior scientist for the Climate and Clean Energy Program with the Natural Resources Defense Council. We've had a lot of guests from NRDC on the show before, and I love having them on. But I want to start with Eileen. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Eileen. So glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. We've actually had uh, your organization on before, but it's been a few years, so I'm glad to have uh, you back. Air pollution is not a new topic for California. I mean, we've been uh, working on these issues since the 70s, but help us frame the context uh, for the study that it was just released that we're going to be talking about uh, by giving our listeners some of the background on the state's air quality problems and some of the public health impact uh, that's going on as a result of this poor air quality. Well, first, I want to say um, ha- thank you to all your listeners, and I, I look forward to hearing from you today or talking to you too. Um, but the, so, as we, as as Jill mentioned, we do have in California a long history of pretty terrible air quality, and the Air Resources Board that was created about a little over 50 years now, they just celebrated their 50-year anniversary last year, um, is responsible for taking us from a time when uh, the air was so 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 bad that children couldn't go outside to play for many, many days of the year and many people would get sick to a place where we are now where our air quality is much improved. However, we still have some very substantial pockets of, of serious air quality issues, particularly in Southern California and in the San Joaquin Valley region where you know, many, many children go to school with inhalers every single day. It's over, I think it's like a third of the children in, in those regions are still heavily impacted. And many of these, uh, many of this pollution is due to transportation. And so the, I think the, the public health impacts of this poor air quality are most felt in children, in the elderly, and in communities that are near freeways or near, um, polluting entities like refineries and these communities are often often low income folks or communities of color and so we're seeing disproportionate health impacts in our communities of color and in um, low income communities so i think part of the challenge today and part of the reason for this study was we need to look at how 
how we can protect particularly those most vulnerable in our communities and really help those people that live in these communities um, be healthy like many of the rest of us that are more affluent or live in communities that are not near these polluting sources. So really, this is very much a social justice and environmental justice um, issue, not just a greenhouse gas emissions issue. There's so much more to this, and that's why I think this is so important and certainly of interest to such a wide variety of people involved in public policy because it's not just um, a climate change situation. This is truly about helping human beings um, live a healthier life here in California. And and certainly what this study uh, promotes and what this study has shown uh, could be useful in many other geographic locations as well. Simon, I want to bring you on. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you on. Talk to us in a little bit more detail about how transportation is related to California's air quality issues. Hi. Hi, Jill. Good morning, and thank you for having me on. Yes, and just to follow up on on Eileen's great points, I, I, what we have is a really challenging problem in California, but also, frankly, across the country. You know, in California, when you have 30 million cars, trucks, and buses now on the road in, in, in the state, all those tailpipes really start adding up into a continuous, nonstop stream of pollutants into the air. And, you know, let's, let's remember that it's not only the people driving on freeways get that get exposed, but it's also the children at the schools and the residential neighborhoods along the busy streets that really see that disproportionate exposure to tailpipe pollution. One thing that it has grown tremendously and is now one of the, the, the largest sources of, of pollution and one of the fastest growing in the U.S. as well as California is the rise of commercial truck pollution. And I think all your listeners will probably understand that uh, why, you know, we're moving to an economy that is not only looking for the next week delivery, but really same-day deliveries, you know, the Amazons of the world, Mm -hmm. as well as same-day grocery service deliveries. And, And we're all seeing that increase uh, in truck traffic in our neighborhoods that that come with that change in the economy. So really, truck pollution is a major source of uh, emissions. Uh, not only is it responsible for a large portion of nitrogen oxides, which is a major contributor to smog in the state, but also a significant source of particulate matter. And Really, those historic episodes that Eileen talked about that we saw in the 1940s, they, even though we've clamped down on emissions over time, those have grown because we've just seen the sh- sheer number of vehicles on the road increase. And yes. so the state continues to still have some of the worst air quality in the U.S. Uh, nine out of 10 Californians are still living in counties that experience unhealthy air. Um, and transportation is really a, a big, big contributor to this. That's, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of everyday people can understand 
you know, intuitively, but until you really study the numbers and look at the data, um, it, it is pretty remarkable, uh, the impact that all the transportation, especially heavy and medium duty transportation is having on our communities. Eileen, talk to us about the public policy goals that the state has set for reducing emissions and the timeline for reaching those goals. Okay, so our state has has multiple goals to reduce emissions, particularly from transportation and the electricity sector, which I'll focus on because the focus of this study is zero emission transportation. So um, we set a goal for ourselves to, to, to get to 1.5 million zero emission vehicles by 2025. That is five years from now. We're currently getting near a million after almost 10 years of this generation of electric vehicles and zero emission vehicles being on the road. So I do think that 1.5 million goal is going to be challenging, but I have full confidence given all of the vehicles that are coming into the market that we will, um, we will reach that goal. We also set a, a, a even more stringent standard for 5 million. So when 1.5 million in 2025 to 5 million in 2030. Wow. for zero emission vehicles. So that's a very ambitious target, but one that I think we can meet because we have so many other supporting policies, not just these goals. We also have our greenhouse gas emission goals, which are to get to 40% below 1990 levels by 2030 and to be co- completely carbon neutral by 2045. So that, that, you know, and again, another very ambitious goal, but one that the state is committed to. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a goal of um, for charging stations or hydrogen refueling stations of 250,000 stations or hydrogen fueling stations in California by 2025. And 10,000 of those are what we call DC fast charging. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar with a, a, an electric vehicle, you can plug into the DC fast charger and, and fill it up quite quickly. So that, again, I think we are, we're, we're pretty far away from, from that goal, but we'll I, you know, I think that is actually probably a more challenging goal than the than the vehicle goal. But I don't know if Simon has some thoughts on that. But then, mm-hmm. Jill, if you have thoughts, and then finally, in our in our electricity sector, we have a goal of thirty percent renewable electricity by twenty twenty, which we actually reached early, and sixty percent um, by twenty thirty with a with a carbon neutral goal of. Um, of, you know, car- we're going to be carbon neutral by 2045, with mm-hmm. 60% of that being renewable and 40% being zero carbon electricity like hydro- hydropower. Right. Well, and, you know, cross our fingers, no big droughts, because that's what gets difficult, um, you know, when when we have droughts and the hydropower, you know, <laughs> drops off tremendously. But, um, you know, these are goals that are important to set because it helps us shape public policy to get to those goals. And and speaking of that, you know, I know, Simon, we're talking about the, the study that was put out by ICF. Uh, you know, why did it focus so heavily on commercial vehicles? Yes. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, that is one of the fastest growing sources of emissions uh, in California, across the U.S., and, and frankly, globally, with uh, the increased commerce happening. 
when we talk to our uh, members and the environmental community, um, to the public health community like American Lung Association, as well as groups that are really on the front line, um, such as uh, East Yards uh, Communities for Environmental Justice, who was an advisory member on, on this uh, study, they were really worried and concerned about tackling pollution from commercial trucks and, and from goods movement. And they have been working on this for, for many, many decades. And if you look at California, it really is the gateway into the U.S. for many of those goods. For over 40% of the goods entering the U.S. come through just two ports alone, the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach. So if you imagine community communities seeing 12,000 trucks daily traveling on the freeways and roads, which cut through many of those densely populated communities, many communities, as Eileen mentioned, of communities of color, low-income communities that face really that disproportionate burden, pollution burden from Absolutely. the purchase. That, that is why um, there was so such important. an outcry and, and, and a need to, to, to do this study on commercial trucks. That makes perfect sense. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. So please don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Eileen Tutt, the Executive Director of the California Electric Transportation Coalition, and Simon Mui, who is a senior scientist with the Climate and Clean Energy Program with the Natural Resources Defense Council. You probably know them as the NRDC. So Eileen, I want to go back to this study that just came out from ICF, and, and there were a lot of partners on the study. Uh, NRDC, your organization, the Union of Concerned Scientists, many others. Um, talk to us about how the studies focus on comprehensive, multidimensional evaluation of varying alternative fuel vehicle deployment trajectories and their attributes, and that's all a quote from the study, will actually help public policymakers more than maybe a short-term uh, short uh, implementation strategy type of study. Talk to us about that. Well, I mean, this the, what we did was kind of the, for, for the first time ever, we looked at what we called a scorecard, and that's a we looked at a mixture of qualitative and quantitative, quantitative numerical comparisons for a variety of different fuels that are used by trucks and buses, including diesel, renewable diesel, and and regular diesel, conventional diesel, electricity, uh, renewable natural gas, and natural gas and hydrogen. And so we looked at all of those different fuels, and we looked at things like what is the commercialization status of the technology and the fuel, the vehicle technology and the fuel. What are some of the barriers? For example, to electricity, one of the barriers is a, a lack of sufficient charging infrastructure, right, available particularly mm-hmm. for people like live in multi-unit dwellings or apartment complexes. We also looked at the policy alignment for each of these fuels, just as you mentioned earlier, and we talked about earlier, there are a number of policy goals the state has, so how well are they aligned um, with, in support of these clean technologies that we're trying to get at? And then we looked at environmental considerations and cost considerations. So that 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 is probably the most most people who look at these vehicles like they say they compare on cost effectiveness or they just compare straight up vehicle costs we did what we're calling this multi-dimensional evaluation um, of all all the different fuels and that will help policymakers look at what what bar- what policies are needed to overcome some of the barriers that we've identified and then which vehicles actually um, pro- are are the most cost-effective from a policy standpoint for, um, or from just a cost standpoint, sorry, for the public, for public, limited public dollars to be used um, in support of. So, so that's what we did, and, and I would encourage readers, um, listeners, sorry, to read the study. Um, that it, it, is, it is the first time that, that anybody has looked this comprehensively at these fuels and the vehicles. And and I love that brilliant approach because sometimes we see studies that are, they're great studies, but the problem is um, they kind of leave public policy makers hanging because they aren't comprehensive. And you've really thought about what public policy makers need in order to to evaluate a variety of strategies. And that's why I think this study, it caught my attention because it was so comprehensive and so ready to be 
you know, utilized by public policymakers. Simon, I want to go to you because I want to start talking about some of the major findings in the study. And I want you to talk about this one in particular. And this is a quote uh, from the from the study. It, the finding is widespread electrification beyond existing and proposed policies is required to meet both the 2030 and 2050 greenhouse gas goals and to significantly help in achieving the, the NOx or nitrous oxide reductions required to to meet federal ambient air quality standards. That's a mouthful. Talk to us about that finding. <laughs> yes, yes. Let me let me take that apart a little bit and maybe dewonkify it. Um, if that's <laughs> a word. Um, so it is yes, now. It's, it's a good one. one. The, dewonkify. <laughs> <laughs> one of the important parts of uh, findings of this study was that it, it really tried to look at what are the existing policies that California has adopted on the books? And will that get us, frankly, to the greenhouse gas emission reduction goals we know we need to meet, as well as the uh, um, ambient air quality standards, you know, the reductions in, in smog-forming pollutants and particulate matter that will allow the state to achieve federal ambient air quality standards, which, which we're legally ob- obligated to do. Um, what it found was that, you know, the existing policies are important but insufficient to really get us all the way there. You really do need to have zero emission truck technologies like battery electric trucks to achieve those 2030 and 2050 greenhouse gas emission reduction goals and if we're going to clean up the air for uh, communities. Um, so. California has gone a long way already uh, to setting uh, some greenhouse gas tailpipe standards, uh, to establishing the world's first low-carbon fuel standard, to uh, ratcheting down on NOx emissions going forward. But you really need to get to a pure zero-emission technology like battery electric trucks coupled with a cleaner grid is what the findings show. And thankfully... You know, we already are on a pathway to get to uh, 100% clean energy grid. So you've got a system in place already that is getting your, if you have battery electric trucks on the road, they will get cleaner over time, which is an amazing thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Uh, No other technology, usually trucks and cars get dirtier over Mm -hmm. time, but in this case, it'll only get cleaner. That is, that's really encouraging news. And I know a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners um, are, by that, by virtue of what you just said, will want to read this study just right there. Eileen, I want you to help our listeners understand this next finding. I'm going to read it. This is the wonky version, everybody, but Eileen's going to unpack it for us. This is what it says. The necessary deep emission reductions are achieved only through a zero emissions truck scenario and full implementation of existing NOx reduction policies. Battery electric trucks and buses are the only feasible path to achieve California's emissions reduction goals while also achieving a favorable total cost of ownership. Okay, Eileen, dewonkify that for us. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Simon's approach of unpacking and build on what he said. So we did look at a scenario with um, substantial you know, increase in zero emission vehicles versus diesel or renewable natural gas vehicles. And what we found is that even, you know, that, that 
that even with all of those zero emission vehicles, if we don't have full implementation of the existing um, NOx reduction policies, which are very stringent in California, we have very stringent NOx standard for um, diesel and natural gas, and that that policy, it turns out, is going to be incredibly important because even if you have a lot of zero emission vehicles, there's still going to be some combustion engine vehicles on the road, and if those vehicles do not meet this very low NOx NOx reduction, NOx um, standard, then we cannot even come close to meeting our our um, our ambient air quality standards that Simon met, mentioned. I think almost the more important finding here, so not not what we're saying is not only zero emission trucks are really important, but if you're going to emit, then this NOx standard is also incredibly important. Oxides of nitrogen, for those who don't know what mm-hmm. NOx is, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a pollutant. Um, and then. The other, I think, really interesting finding here was that battery electric trucks and buses can achieve that those deep emission reductions and their total cost of ownership, which is, again, a, a very wonky term, so I'm, term, so I'm going to de-wonkify <laughs> it. Um, so total cost of ownership for the way we did it, which is, I think, probably the most comprehensive, another, you know, sort of innovative way to do it was we looked at what is the total cost of ownership, meaning the vehicle costs, the fuel costs, the operating and maintenance costs, um, even the refueling costs over, like like for charging infrastructure, for example, over um, for the first owner of the vehicle. So instead of doing what many people do, which say, well, you're going to, re- you'll, you'll make up your money over the life of ve- the vehicle when most people aren't going to keep the vehicle for more than three to five years in, in trucks at it's the same. Most of the first mm-hmm. owners only keep three to five years. But we looked at the the typical total, the typical first owner, how long they keep the the truck or bus, and then um, and then we looked at the costs that they will incur over that time frame. And what we found was that zero, battery electric buses and trucks um, are actually less expensive, if you will, on a total cost of ownership vehicle basis by 2030 compared to every single renewable natural gas or diesel, even conventional diesel or renewable diesel bus or truck. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is, it, it was a very, we, we did not, that was a, an aha for us. We did not, oh. everybody knows air quality benefits, but we did not realize how fast the battery costs are going down and with, uh, as, with electricity being so much less expensive than diesel and natural gas and those costs for diesel and natural gas continuing to rise and electricity mm-hmm. getting cleaner and cleaner. It turns out that this, is, um, that this technology is actually attractive to people who are looking, um, you know, to buy right. the commercial truck buses. Absolutely. And, and Simon, I want you to carry on with that, uh, that cost perspective yeah. of the study and talk about why it is that the costs are falling. Yeah, I, I would say that was sort of the one aha moment I, I really got from the study. It's really a game changer to me working on the, in the transportation sector. Um, you know, this is analogous to the way we've seen the cost of wind and solar really start to achieve cost parity and become cheaper than fossil fuel power plants really over the last decade. Uh, what we're seeing now is the cost of these lithium-ion batteries, the largest cost component of electric trucks and buses, 
really continue to plummet in cost. And, and it's, it's frankly amazing to me, having been um, in my former career two decades ago, actually a lithium-ion battery scientist, uh, working, trying to improve these technologies and, and uh, seeing how slow things were going back then. But, um, you know, there's probably a lot more smarter people now working on this. But uh, what we've seen is, is an 85% reduction over the past 10 years in the cost of these batteries. And that's due to economies of scale, things like learning by doing innovation, improvements in the battery technology, um, uh, by, by, by manufacturers. And so when you have those costs plummeting and going forward continuing to plummet, the economics really starts to pan mm-hmm. out. And that's what the, the study really showed and, and was, was very impressive. Absolutely. The, the, and, and that's why I hope our listeners will get a hold of the study and, and check it out. And we're going to talk about how to find it after we come back from this quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. Our guests today are talking about a brand new study um, that's out that talks about the 
the importance and and maybe even we can go a step further and say the the absolute critical nature of adopting electric buses and heavy duty vehicles to achieve California's greenhouse gas emission goals and air pollution particularly NOx reduction goals. Eileen, if you wouldn't mind, let our listeners know how they can get a hold of this study. Where can they find it? So the study is available online at the California Electric Transportation Coalition website, which is CalETC, like California, short for California Electric Transportation Coalition, ETC.com. It's currently on the front page. There's a link, but if as it gets, as it as time goes on, it'll be moved. So if you want to find it online and you don't see it on the front page, it's in the News and Research tab at the top. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eileen. Now, we have another finding that I want to talk about in the study that I think is really, really important. I'm going to read it, and then you dewonkify it. I love it that we've coined a new term, guys. This is great. Um, so here's the, the finding. ICF modeled aggressive use of renewable a renewable natural gas, RNG, renewable diesel, and biodiesel, but found that constraints on the availability of low carbon intensity renewable natural gas and renewable diesel limit the greenhouse gas emission reductions that can be achieved by using those fuels. Of the 3.1 billion diesel equivalent gallons of fuels uh, that will be needed in 2030 to power the state's large vehicles. The ICF study concluded that the supply of renewable natural gas and renewable diesel from low carbon intensity sources in California would be limited to 750 million and 1500 million diesel equivalent gallons respectively. All right, take it from there, Eileen. Help us understand the significance of that finding. Well, and that's, that's what I'm going to do in a minute because it's, it is a lot to, lot to understand and a lot to comprehend. But what I will say is probably if you're in the world that I'm in, you hear the renewable natural gas and renewable diesel people talk about those fuels as if there is an unending supply of these fuels and we can meet all of our carbon reduction goals and our air quality goals with just those, with, as long as we shift to renewable versions of natural gas and diesel. And so what ICF did was they, they, I think it, this is a very generous, we're assuming a very generous amount of renewable natural gas and diesel that would be used for transportation. But what they did is they did a very thorough analysis of the feedstock for these fuels, and then they looked at the feedstock's competition for those fuels. So I'll give you one, just one example. So for example, for renewable natural gas, you can use agricultural residue for, um, to make renewable natural gas. And they looked at what are the other uses of agricultural residue. And those other uses are things like animal feed, um, livestock bedding, liquid biofuels, carbon sequestration, and soil enrichment. And so this, this is it's not as if you can just take all that agricultural residue and make natural, renewable natural gas with it. So basically, ICF went through all of the different feedstocks. There are many, you know, like fat, fatty oils and leftover greases and things like that, and then looked at all of the com- competition for um, those feedstocks, if you will, and determined that there is a limit on how much of how much renewable natural gas and diesel can be used in trucks and buses, and that limit is 750 million and 1500 million diesel gallon equivalent 
diesel equivalent gallons, respectively, for natural gas and renewable diesel. So it's not, we do not have an unlimited supply, and as a result, the, the, um, the benefits that you can achieve with those fuels are capped. Mm, okay, and and so Simon, I want to go to you because this next finding is is again something that I think is really important. So I want you to dewonkify the following: demand for these renewable fuels and feedstocks from other sectors of the economy could further limit their overall potential to significantly offset the use of conventional diesel in trucks and buses. So kind of take what Eileen was was talking about in terms of the cap and talk to us about kind of the, the, the demand for these fuel stocks in other sectors. Yeah, and, and, you know, the way to think about this is if you think globally and, and across the economy, there's a huge energy demand. Um, there's a demand for uh, energy in the industrial sectors like factories, um, as well as the building sectors, uh, as well as transportation. And because we live in a world where, where these renewable feedstocks are, are actually limited, you have to start deciding where these feedstocks can go to uh, decarbonize those sources. And, and if you think of things like aircraft, right, planes that, that may be more challenging to electrify, uh, you could see a big use for things like renewable diesel uh, in, in renewable aviation fuels. Um, but if you look globally, there's such a huge demand that it could easily suck up most of the supply from aviation alone. So some of this is about really trying to balance the strategy to hit our global greenhouse gas emission reduction requirements, as well as mitigate air pollution. And so you start needing to make these trade-offs among the different economic sectors with this limited supply. And that's why I I think this is actually a helpful conclusion in that you are freeing up these limited supplies to be used in harder to decarbonize sectors like maybe residential buildings or industrial or aviation to use these 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 very precious limited feedstocks, whereas in for commercial trucks you can really depend on solar and wind power to really uh, power battery electric trucks. Awesome, Eileen. I want you to explain the next finding in the study because this one I I really actually got into this part of it. Um, it it reads as such: truck electrification provides greater benefits to the economy as a whole relative to other alternatives evaluated. Investment in battery electric truck and charging infrastructure results in greater employment, gross regional product, and industrial activity per dollar spent compared to natural gas vehicles and infrastructure. And that finding flies in the face of everything we hear from the natural gas industry. So talk to us about this finding. So this was another aha moment for us. So as I said, we all knew that battery electric trucks and buses are are, are zero emission and they are going to, uh, you know, emitting vehicles cannot compete with zero. So um, 
So we, we knew that. But what we didn't know is as we transition, and California's goal is to get to 100% zero emission transportation by 2045, um, as, as we make that transition, what is it going to cost from a jobs perspective and employment, employment perspective and, um, you know, our, our, our gross overall economic well-being as a state, because oftentimes we hear that, oh my gosh, these things are so expensive, and, and California's leadership and environmental leadership is going to hurt the California economy. And, and quite the contrary, in fact, what we found, and the, and the, um, the ICF team used a model called IMPLAN, which is a very well-known model to, that looks at macroeconomic impacts of various policies. And um, when we ran the scenario with greater numbers of electric trucks and buses, what we found is that more jobs are creative, created, in fact, four to five times more jobs than natural gas and, and diesel, um, or even more than that in some cases. And, and um, the, it, the gross regional product, if you will, <laughs> um, the economy as a whole grows faster than it would in, as you know, relative to today. And if you were to implement more renewable natural gas or natural gas and diesel scenarios, so at the end of the day, what we see is there will be job losses. Let's not. I don't want to pretend like that's not true. There will be job losses in the oil and and gas industry, but those job losses are made up by. Uh, an increase in about four, four to five times increase in jobs created in the electricity sector, and I, I can give you an example. If you're if you're building out a whole new infrastructure, a charging infrastructure, you need construction workers, you need engineers, you need regional planners, you need inspectors, you need people working in the regional governments doing permitting. All of those all of those jobs are created, um, and so that 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 it's it's pretty well understood in the economic community that building out infrastructure is good for the economy. So that part wasn't surprising, but what was really surprising is that even when you factor in the additional cost of these uh, electric trucks and buses in the early years, we still see a huge economic benefit. I mean, it's, 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 it, it is... It, it's an economic engine for our state to transition to clean zero emission trucks and buses. Well, and the thing that I, I want to kind of underscore in all of that is that, you know, I remember when, you know, my dad was a coal miner and a lot of people talked about transitions to cleaner, you know, electricity, which everybody agreed was a great idea. But, you know, jobs are, are not don't necessarily equal the same jobs for some people. And so my hope would be is that if we begin to transition uh, to some uh, some new jobs, some different types of jobs from what we currently have in the natural gas industry, that will also include some job training so that the individuals in those jobs will be able to take advantage of the new jobs. And that's something that, you know, we've, we've seen good and not so good examples of in other parts of the, the country where jobs were lost but jobs, more jobs were gained. We want to make sure that individual people uh, have an opportunity to take advantage of the economic uh, influx that the state will realize. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more Go Green Radio. So don't go away, folks. We'll be back right after this. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us today to talk about this important new study that was put out by ICF and a bunch of partner organizations um, who have, have given us some real insight as to the public policy that needs to take place in order to help um, California meet its greenhouse gas emission reduction goals and its uh, its air emission goals around NOx as well. Eileen, I want to go to you in the final moments that we have left in the show. I'd like for you to talk about your ideal scenario for how this study will be put to good use. What changes should be made in the next few years if public policymakers and investors took this study to heart? Well, I guess for me, and I will say this is a number one priority for our organization, is it is really important that this state continue to invest in incentives for these vehicles and the infrastructure. And to your point before we went to break, Jill, we want we also need to invest in the workforce training that is needed to get people into these good jobs and people who are maybe currently underemployed or unemployed. So the state needs to make substantial investments in the form of incentives for vehicles, infrastructure, and workforce training as we transition. We basically transform our economy towards zero emission transportation and uh, the fuel they use, zero emission fuel. And so I, I think that 
from my perspective, what I would hope policymakers take away from this study is that now is the time to really double down on our investments in the bu- budget, in the state budget, and look at those investments in incentives and workforce training as really a stimulus, because what this sh- study shows is that if we accelerate this transition, we also create an economic boom for California and we create many, many good jobs that can go to people who are currently unemployed or underemployed or live in communities that are in poverty. So I feel like the way I look at this investment, it it isn't really, um, there, there are there's a, there's a public sector investment, and that's very, very important. But I also want to just say that the, there's a lot of private sector investment that those public sector dollar, dollars leverage. So not only will we do we need this state to invest, but we need them to recognize that it's a stimulus and that that investment draws probably something like another, you know, four or five, tenfold increase in private sector investments as companies move to California to build their zero emission technologies, which is already happening. I just want to say, I'll just close by saying this this comment anyway, by saying that as of last year, electric technologies, meaning electric vehicle technologies, were California's number one export. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful right there. I, I did not know that. That's great info. Simon, I'm going to ask you the same question. What would be your ideal scenario for the use of this study? Talk to us about that. Yeah, we're in agreement that the the state funding programs really need to have a big boost, um, particularly in the early deployment phase of of new technology. Um, You know, in addition to that, sending strong policy signals, giving companies the direction uh, in terms of, of the needs going forward, it will be very important. California is in the midst of, um, uh, uh, has proposed rules, new rules for commercial trucks to become zero emission uh, trucks over time for manufacturers to start selling more zero emission trucks between 2024 to 2030. And that's going to be, it's called the Advanced Clean Truck Rule. And in May, uh, the California Air Resources Board will look to decide whether or not to adopt those rules. And certainly, those having strong rules in place and standards will send a signal to a lot of these manufacturers who are now um, beginning to shift to electric mobility. Uh, but, you know, their investors also need to see the signals, right, the policy signals that that is the right direction uh, that the state and, and the U.S. will head. Uh, and, and certainly, it will not only give California a competitive edge, but it will also, frankly, help us address uh, global warming emissions and pollution. And, and just to kind of go off of what you both said there, What is, in your mind, one of the ways that that our listeners might be able to get involved with this? What what can everyday people do? I mean, I I know that so much of this happens in the state capitol. So much of this happens, you know, in meetings and and with people who are professionals in uh, public policy. But if there were any actions, any... um, 
anything at all that you could recommend for our Go Green Radio listeners to do or to read or somehow get involved, what would those things be? Eileen, we'll start with you first. Well, I just think we're in a fortunate time when it's probably never been easier to get politically active um, because of the internet and social media. And, and I would just encourage people, especially, you know, in terms of the investment in clean tra- transportation and the jobs creation and the workforce training, which, you know, especially young adults, people of working age, uh, would care about, you can contact your local elected, local elected officials, uh, whether they be locally, uh, you know, in your, in your, in your county or, or city, um, and your representative in the legislature, and let them know that this is important to you, that you want to see policies in this state and investment, particularly investment, by this state to leverage the the private sector investments and go to zero emission transportation as soon as possible. And that's both a jobs and economic benefit, but also really benefits those in our communities that um, have suffered the most, especially those in, in highly, heavily polluted or economically disadvantaged communities. So I think it's not that hard at this point, um, but I, I would just encourage people to, to, to when. There is nothing more meaningful to a policymaker, an elected official, than to have one of their constituents reach out to them and express their views and um, priorities. That's really true. I, I, you know, a lot of people think that that's a waste of time, that nobody's going to, you know, hear what they're saying. But that that isn't true. I actually, you know, I've never met Senator Harris, but I got uh, an email back from her staff stating that they had, you know, taken a look at some of the information that I provided on another issue. So they really do care. And that is their job to listen. Simon, you work for the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. And I know that your organization yes. is very active. You guys have a lot of ways for people to get involved. How would you answer that question? What do you recommend our Go Green Radio listeners do with this information that we just shared today? Yes, in, in May, when the California Air Resources Board um, uh, uh, looks to adopt or not the, the advanced clean truck rule, we had uh, sign-on letters um, together with other environmental groups working together in a, a big co- tent coalition uh, to support the advanced clean truck rule uh, uh, to move forward and, and to have a strong standard. And so uh, if you're not already a member, um, I, I encourage you to sign on. But if not, um, you can still do so uh, as a public citizen to support the rule. And you can go to our website as well as our, our colleagues' websites, including the Sierra Club, the Union of Concerned Scientists, Earth Justice, um, and many other groups that are, are in this tent to, to support zero-emission commercial trucks. Thank you so much for that, Simon. And I hope that our Go Green Radio listeners will take the opportunity to do that. You know, I want to thank Eileen and Simon so much for being here with us and illuminating this topic and this study for us and breaking it down, dewonkifying it. Thanks also to our Go Green Radio listeners for being with us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.